The numbers are good stuff. All right. I'm going to pray a little bit more. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for um, your grace to teach us new things as we can bear them. I'm asking, Lord, that we would hear what you're saying in this room. Lord, that you would um, give us hearts that are paying attention to you. That you're worthy, Holy Spirit, of our attention. You're worthy of us paying attention to the nuances of what you're saying. Lord, I just thank you. I get to stand here um, and offer some lumber, but you're the one who puts it together, who builds something. So would you help me to do that? Would you help me to pay attention to the nuances of what you're doing? I ask for everybody in this room that wants to change to decide that's what they're going to do this morning with you. And everybody who doesn't, Lord, to decide that's what they're going to do. I just thank you, Lord. That's what you're doing. You're inviting us to either change or to get hard. And you don't decide that for us. So, Lord, I want to change. If you want to change, I just hear him saying, just tell him. You don't have to say it out loud. But you do need to move in your heart to open that door. Lord, I don't want to be a garden enclosed. I don't want to be a locked garden. I want the north wind to come. I want the south wind to blow. I want you to find everything you want inside of me. And I want to feed my friends with it and your friends. But I want to be alive. Just tell them, I want to be alive. I don't want to be dull and comfortable and bored. I want to be vibrant and alive and in the, in the war that's happening all around me. I want to be engaged. Just tell them, I want to be engaged. If you do, Holy Spirit, come. Just light on these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today I'm going to start talking about the Tabernacle of David kind of real specifically. Um, yeah, and today uh, the title of the message is The Threshing Floor of God's Sovereignty. So David, he started the Tabernacle of David, and God moved it to a threshing floor, to Aruna's threshing floor, actually. David purchased it with money that God had given David. So David technically didn't purchase it. God technically purchased it because God gave David the money that he's like, I'm not going to offer the Lord a sacrifice. It doesn't cost me something. He recognized that something was flowing through him, and he wanted to be one with God in the establishment of the thing. And so he decided that he didn't want it to not have to, to require something to flow through him to purchase that threshing floor. If you don't know the story I'm talking about, look up David taking a census of Israel. Matthew 3, 8 to 12. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And I hear the Lord this morning saying, even more so now. This was John the Baptist, obviously, preaching before the coming of Jesus. And he said, there's a pruning that's waiting to happen. There's an axe laid to the root of the trees. Like God, he's... He's sifting, he's testing, he's finding out who wants to change and who doesn't. And that's really what he's saying. They're like, we have Abraham as our father, we don't have to change. We're good where we are. And he's like, no, no, you're not. If you were, it'd be obvious. There'd be, there, there'd be fruits worthy of repentance. It'd be clear that you've been repenting, but you're not. And understand this, it's about to get cut off. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. Whose threshing floor is it? Whose who's threshing floor? Yeah, capital H, his, God, Jesus. It's G, that's who he's, John the Baptist is prophesying the coming of Jesus. He's like, he's going to clean out his threshing floor. That means what, what's on his threshing floor? Is it somebody else's wheat or is it his wheat? His wheat. He's going to thresh those that are his is what it means. It, God, it says God corrects those, the righteous. It says he tests the righteous. He corrects sons. This isn't about like, hey, God's going to take the world and thresh the world. It's talking about his, he's talking to Israel. He's talking to people that thought they were in. He's like, yeah, you are. That's why he's going to thresh you and winnow you to find out how in are you. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, David's tabernacle was put on this threshing floor that actually John the Baptist is talking about. How could I say that with such confidence? John the Baptist is talking about David's tabernacle when he's talking about Jesus coming and thoroughly cleaning out his threshing floor. Yes, he is, because Jesus is going to sit on his ancestor David's throne. That's what the angel Gabriel tells Mary when she's about to have Jesus. Jesus rules from the tabernacle of David. David didn't even rule from the tabernacle of David. David set up the tabernacle of David as a worship center, and then he went and ruled from a different place. He wouldn't dare put his throne in the temple is what I mean. He wouldn't dare put his throne in the tent. But Jesus' throne will be there. (laughs) Jesus' throne is in the temple. Jesus, he's actually going to clean this tabernacle of David reality out so that the people that are there manifest the government of God. That's what the tabernacle of David is. It's It's a reflection of the government of God. And it's important to know that it's super specific because it's intentionally Something that either you line up with or it shoots you out. Either you find the, you bear the weight of the glory of this government or it kicks you out. This is very important to know. So the tabernacle of David is very specific. Now, mankind is very specific about ourselves and very casual about everybody else's authority. Very interested in everybody knowing who we are and kind of lazy about knowing who everybody else is. The the tabernacle of David is intentionally designed to break down our pride, our selfish pride, and find out what God is like. If you don't want to come and find out what God is like, it will eventually kick you out. It will eventually spit you out. It will eventually trample you and blow you away with the wind. You don't want that to happen. You actually want to come into a place like this or any place that's just trying. Now, the point of the tabernacle of David is that not that it's the right one or it's the right kind. It's that it's a group of people trying That's all David was doing. He was trying his best to mimic the government of God on the earth, and that very trying had implications. It had necessary requirements. He said, I want you, God. And God said, let's find out. Let's find out. So David, he became anointed to be king as a young man, and then God threshed him for about 20 years, and he became king, and this is what he did. He learned the government of God while he was waiting for the government of God. What are we waiting for? What, we should be, what should we be learning? The government of God. So we could come into this room and think, I'm here to pray, I'm here to prophesy, I'm here to love on the people that are here, but that's not why we're here. We're here to learn the government of God. If we learn the government of God, we will pray, we will prophesy, we will love on the people better than we would if we just walked in the door and tried to do it. If we learn the government of God, we get something called agreement with heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Our Father who is in heaven, then we get daily bread. 
You see what I'm saying? We start to get the Lord's prayer. This is the way Jesus lived. Jesus lived in the government of God and manifested the love of God on earth to the point of a cross. So practically what that means is if you're coming here to try and do church or try and do a prayer room or try and do the tabernacle of David, and you're not actually here to learn the government of God, you're not doing any of those things. You're actually wasting your time. You're wasting God's time. And he's actually designed this to kick you out, to thresh you out at some point in time. You don't know when that's going to happen. Israel didn't believe this. When John the Baptist preached this, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, did the people he was talking to believe it? Mostly not. Some did. Mostly not. Like 120 people, when it was all said and done, when Jesus came, when John the Baptist's ministry was done, Jesus demonstrated the miracles of God. He said, if you don't believe me and my witness, at least believe the things I do. 120 humble hearts in Israel actually followed this man. Are we better? Are we expected to be better? Why? Holy Spirit. We have to be a people that are very intentional about learning the government of God, okay? So David's tabernacle is specific. Like the law, everybody say law. To thresh and winnow. Was the law specific? Was Israel's law specific? Very. Could Israel keep it? Was it good? Why? God made it. God wrote it. It showed Israel their sin. Were they supposed to go deeper than the law? The tabernacle of David, it shows you the government of God. You're supposed to go deeper than the tabernacle because the tabernacle is temporary. That's the whole point. A tent is temporary. The temple was going to come next, but the temple is actually temporary. Presence of God, presence of the Father. That's what we're getting ready for. So if you just look at the the things I'm about to start laying out, the tabernacle of David is very specific. Okay, that sounds kind of onerous. I'll try to do it. We'll see. I don't know. It's kind of, I'm in this habit of been doing this for six or seven years. I don't know if I'm actually going to change my mind about it. And what we don't understand is this is the bare basic baby minimum. We're supposed to go deeper into why God? Why? So that we could be ready to live with God. So if we just come here and try to live with each other, we come here and try to live with a house of prayer, we try to fit a house of prayer into our lives, we'll never get ready to live with God. But if we look at why did David do what David did and why did the father say his son was going to sit on a man's throne and we're like, I want to go deeper than the law. I want to go deeper than the rules. I want to find out why. I want to get a heart that's different. Then I'll be ready to live in the place that it's mimicking. The picture, the photograph of David's tabernacle is a photograph of something like it. Every, every descriptor in the Bible of the throne room of, God, throne room of God is like, it's like a rainbow. It's like an emerald. It's like a fire. We don't know. But if we'll just say yes to the journey into his heart, then we'll be ready for something. We don't even know what we need. We don't even know what we need yet. But most of us, we get used to doing this over a time. We get a hard heart. We think we're doing it. We see the way other people do it. We think they're doing it wrong, maybe, or we think they're doing it better, maybe. And none of that's what the Lord is talking about. He's saying, why are you here? Are you here to learn my government? Are you here to learn my heart standard? Or are you here to do something on the earth? This is temporary. This is going to go away. And it must. It's good that it would, just like it's good that the law would go away. There's many kinds of prayer personal, in the spirit, like John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, corporate, groaning and utterances, you know, you don't know what to pray, you know, Romans 8, so you groan and utter, prayer in the spirit and prayers in our own understanding, there's all kinds of prayer, there's prayer in the spirit, there's prayer of understanding, both are valid, both are important actually, 
1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What does that mean? My, my understanding is not changing. I'm praying in the spirit, yes, but I'm not, it's not changing. It's not bearing fruit my, the way I understand what God is doing. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. Why? Because it's fruitful to the spirit. It opens the spirit. But I'll also pray with my understanding. Why? Well, because that will bear fruit in my understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll also sing with understanding. All of this prayer, the prayer of the Spirit, the prayer of our understanding, the personal prayer, the in the Spirit prayer, the corporate prayer, the groaning and utterances, it's all supposed to lead us to the throne of God, which is the government of God. It should all actually lead us to the tabernacle of David. It should lead us, if we're after God's heart, it should lead us to the same place the man after God's heart found himself. Do you see what I'm saying? This is very important. Is that where you're finding yourself moving? Are you finding yourself moving into the government of God, or do you find yourself kind of stuck trying to do the government of God? That's way different than being moved by God into his government. Trying to do the government of God will burn you out, wear you out, break you, kill you, cast you out, because God doesn't want you trying to do his government. His government is designed to lead you, to benefit you, to drive you, to entice you, to satisfy you, to fulfill you. It's a light burden, an easy yoke. We make ourselves present with the right heart attitude and the right desire, and then he does all the rest, okay? So all prayer should lead us to the throne of God, which is the government of God of the, or the coming kingdom of God. Ephesians 6, 12 to 20. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What are we, what are we wrestling against? We just read it. What are we wrestling against? Uh, an entirely different kingdom, right? Satan, demons. It's a, it's a kingdom opposed to God. Principalities and powers, that, that, that means something. <laughs> Rulers, that's governmental. We're wrestling against a government. Are we outside of that government? Are we like, hey, we were with God, and the, there's all these bad guys coming. Let's go get them. We were stuck in, the, in that government. We're trapped in that ungodly, unrighteous government. We're wrestling our way out of that. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a governmental issue. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, praying always, and I obviously skipped some verses about the armor of God, praying always with, everybody say it, all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to what? So all prayer should be watchful to, I'm trying to get into a different government actually. The whole point of all of my prayer should be with this in mind. I'm trying to get out of the government that I see all around me in the earth and in the church into a government that I can't see and I don't really know, but it's available to me by the Spirit to be led into it. That's the point of coming to a place like this. That's the point of church. That's the point of prayer. That's the point of following Jesus is a new leadership paradigm, a new value system, new currency, new rules, new law, new rest. With all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Wait a second. Praying always with all prayer about this, this government that's coming. With all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Oh, we all have to come to us on our own. We're all at different places in this. And this is going to take some grace, some supernatural help to kind of get into this together. Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord. There he will teach us his ways, is the way Isaiah said. And for me, that utterance may be given to me. He says, pray for me with this in mind. For me, that utterance may be given to me, Paul, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Is it obvious? No. For which I am an ambassador. Everybody say ambassador. 
in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It's like this didn't cost me nothing, but just like David, it didn't cost him anything God didn't give him either. That's why, that's why Paul could do it. Paul couldn't have done it. Paul, good old, you know, hardworking, real smart, Pharisee, got all these things in the flesh, powerful. Paul could never do what he's describing here. He says, I'm in chains by the power of God. Keep this in mind when you do this. Now, an ambassador doesn't do what they want. They do what the government they represent wants. Always. Otherwise, they get kicked out as ambassadors. That's what John the Baptist was telling Abraham's sons and daughters. Yeah, you claim to represent him, but you're misrepresenting him. Be ready. He's got an axe laid to your root. Does he have an axe laid to your root? Yes. I want to tell you the answer is yes. You want him to. You don't want him misrepresented. Does anyone here want the glorious man who died on a cross for us, even though he was infinitely righteous? Do we want him misrepresented? Then we want him cutting us off if we're misrepresenting him, right? That's the heart of the bride of Jesus. It'd be better for me to go than misrepresent him, but change me so I don't misrepresent him. David erected David's tabernacle because he believed in the government of God. It didn't matter how he mimicked it. He, in faith, believed it was worth replicating on earth. David could never give justice to the government of God in heaven. David's, all of David's armies, all of David's strength, all of David's understanding, even the anointing of the Holy Spirit still is not worthy of an offering of the representation of Jesus Christ's government. There's nothing he could ever do to make it just right. He could only do it like that's why, he, that's why he did it in a tent. That's why it was temporary. That's why even the temple. Remember Jesus' disciples, they're looking at the rocks and the stones and all the work that had gone into it decades and decades and decades and decades of building. And Jesus says, all these are going to come down. This isn't even close to worthy of a representation of what it's supposed to represent. And you're worshiping the representation. But not what it's about. You're coming in here doing it. yes. But you grade yourself on a scale with each other, not what it's actually representing. It's representing something dreadfully powerful. Dreadfully powerful. Dreadfully powerful. Us standing in this place just desiring to mimic it has implications. This is dreadfully powerful. This government that we're trying to represent, that we're on the earth. The whole church has no idea that this is true, mostly. Ones and twos, one from a family, two from a city, understands this is the fear of the Lord. I'm calling myself a Christian. There's an ax laid to my root, and it's good. It's good. I'm not going to give God all the reasons it shouldn't be there. I'm going to actually recognize it should be there because he's worthy. Many will enter into the house of the Lord not caring much how they do. They erroneously believe their participation is a gift to God. It isn't. The invitation is a gift from God. The meek see this and get serious about lawfulness. Lawfulness. Are there any seraphim around God's throne right now being like, hey, Jehovah, by the way, had a good idea. I think we ought to. No, not one. Holy, holy, holy. It sets them on fire. Holy, holy. The elders, worthy, worthy. That chain reaction of the fiery change of the seraphim looking at dreadful power changes the elders to cast down all their responsibilities, their crowns. 
their families, what's been given to them to be in charge of, their kingdoms, their domains, they cast it at his feet. There's not one person in the throne room of God being like, hey, God, by the way, I think we ought to. He's not interested in what we, we think he ought to. He wants us to line up with what would bring life to this earth. All the think we ought to's, that's what we see in the church and out of the church. All the think we ought to's, that's what's breaking everything. Our good ideas are what's breaking the earth right now. So many enter in, they don't really care how they do. They think that they're the, the gift to the house. They're not. Lawlessness equals doubt in the relevancy of God's government. It's the enemy in the house of the Lord. Doubt is the enemy in the house of the Lord. That's why Tobias was an enemy in Nehemiah's day. Doubt about God's, the relevancy of God's government is the enemy. How do we doubt the relevancy of God's government? Well, when we doubt the thing that he's telling us to do that we don't really want to do is good. Then we're like, I don't know. Yeah, that sounds good. That's good in theory, except for right now I need to do this. That's doubting the relevancy of the government of God. When we're like, he said it, I, I know it feels like right now we need to do this, but he said it, it's relevant that he said it. That puts you in a place of authority and power like David. David did things that didn't make sense to anybody around him, and he didn't really, although he felt the pain of it, it never outweighed the relevancy of the government of God. That's why it's called David's tabernacle. That's why it says Jesus is going to come rebuild a human being's tabernacle. God is going to come rebuild in a resurrected body that he actually said to his disciples, touch me, because they couldn't recognize him. He was so glorious. They're like, he's a ghost. He's like, no, I am resurrected, but I'm going to come back and rebuild David's tabernacle. Do you care that this thing that we're just saying yes, trying to do, is dreadfully important, holy, worthy of us walking into it intentionally to understand the government of God? Lawlessness is the doubt in the relevancy of God's government. It's the enemy of the house of the Lord. Many name the name of Jesus but lack order, which means yielding to others just because the other person occupies a role. They lack prophetic insight, not asking and therefore not receiving, just kind of doing what makes sense, whatever seems right to them. David was praying about this on Thursday. Antiphony, lacking antiphony, wanting one language and one speech. Let's all kind of get on the same page. Let's all say the same thing. Let's present a united front to this city. Let's present a united front to the unbelievers. Let's present a united front to the homosexuals. Let's present this. That's Babylon. God's not interested in that. He wants antiphony. I see the beauty of the Lord this way. I see the beauty of the Lord this way. Holy. I'm filled with the dread of what he just showed me that it's so real and so true and so powerful that it should change me, but it's so, I can't change myself. I'm, I'm, I'm torn. It's like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips because I've seen the glory of God. We should be walking in here realizing that's what's happening. If you've seen anything of God, this is what's happened to you, but our hearts are hard. We're dull. We're filled with the Spirit. Isaiah, we have something Isaiah really didn't have access to, which is a community of people filled with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah is a lone man trying to bring something forward that wanted to kill him. You've been given so much more, so much more. And integrity, lacking integrity. Many name the name of Jesus, but they lack integrity. Many who are sincere are lawless, though they love the law as they interpret it, just like a Pharisee. Love the law the way you understand it. Love the tabernacle, David, the way I understand it. It's opportunity for me. It's an open door for me. Yeah, it's cool. 
It's new. It's unique. That's not the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David erases your humanistic, fleshy identity and superimposes a supernatural government on top of you that all of the world hates. That's the tabernacle of David. In fact, it says in Revelation 13, these are the three things Satan's going to blaspheme through the Antichrist. His tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven in the name of God. If you really love the tabernacle of David, you love martyrdom. That's what you signed up for. That government is resisted by the government of the earth and the government of the church, just like it was in Jesus' day. It's resisted. We are to be ambassadors of God's kingdom that is emerging in an unseen fashion from its subjects. That means a lot. I'm going to say that one more time. We're ambassadors. Everybody say ambassador. Of a kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. We represent a government that's emerging. It's coming in an unseen way from the people that represent it. That's what an ambassador actually is. That's what we are. So where should the government of God have the most influence if you're really part of the tabernacle of David? Right here. That's right. Right here. That's where it should be. Oh, antiphony. I don't need to demand my own way. Oh, patience. It's ordered. I can actually wait. Faith. I can believe all things. I can hope all things. I can, what am I describing? Love. 1 Corinthians 13, love. It's not rude. It's kind. It believes all things. It hopes all things. If you've got the government of God really happening here, it changes the way you relate to everything that comes at you in a massive way, in an intentional way. It means a lot that this is true. We can't represent a kingdom that doesn't govern our decisions in our inner thought life. This matters when we disagree with our spouse. This matters when, we, when we're hopeless about whatever's happening in our family. This matters when we look at the news of the world. This, all of this matters. Am I representing the government of God or am I representing a person who really likes God but is of the government of the world, actually of the government of Satan? Though I never thought I was born into a government that was resisting God, you were. God isn't saving you because you're one of the good ones he found that was outside of Satan's kingdom. He stormed the gates of Satan's kingdom and was like, come with me. Come with me. Where? Well, let me show you. To my house. To my house. Matthew 6, 9 to 10. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Where? Here. Your will be done. Where? Here. As it is in heaven. That's, what we're, that's, the, that's the beginning of all prayer. This is why Jesus taught people to pray. He taught them to pray themselves into the tabernacle of David. How, why could I say it with such confidence? Well, because David... He established a throne on the praises of Israel, and Jesus is going to come sit on that throne. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for the tabernacle of David if we're praying with our understanding and if we're praying with the Spirit. The first thing all prayer should do is change us, not the world. And this is something I've been talking about for six weeks now. Something always happens when you're actually praying. So if you're praying, you're like, nothing happened. And I've been praying for years, and I've seen nothing happen in this issue. I've been praying for this person. I say this all the time. I've been praying for this list of people for years. I'm still waiting for something to happen. Well, a lot of that is praying amiss. And because, A, a lot has happened. But, B, the main thing that should be happening is I should be getting a heart like God as I name these things before him. This means there should really be no boring prayer meetings. If we could get into the government of God, there would be no boring prayer meetings. The first thing all prayer should do is change us, not the world. Something always happens in real prayer. It should break down our pride. It should teach us the sovereignty of God. 
It should fill us with the fear of the Lord. All prayer. Literally every prayer we pray. It should order us for the kingdom. It should actually bring us closer and closer and closer to the seraphim, the elders, the great cloud of witnesses, the thunder, the lightning, the mercy rainbow around the throne, or the emerald rainbow around the throne. It should bring us into fascination and power. It really should. The arrogant see God changing the world around them. I prayed. He did this thing. I pray, I saw this need, yeah, we really got to fix those people. Yeah, if, anybody, if just everybody could see what I see about God. What does that sound like? Babylon. If everybody could see what I see about God, if we could have one language and one speech, everything would be okay. Who is the king of that reality? You. <laughs> what you see. No, I want to see you, God. I want to see the dignity you put on this other person, whether they see you or not. I don't even know what they see about you. Saul of Tarsus became Paul, he was seeing something about God before he became Paul. Do we see that in our enemies? Do we see that in the people that resist us? I don't want everybody to see the same thing I see about God. That would be a nightmare. I want to see what, what God has to show me, and I want to hear what he's got to show you, and I want that to lead me to say, worthy. I want to give you that too, God. I want to see that too. This is the government of God. Now, practically, what this means is there's a certain way that we should be coming to this prayer podium. There's a certain way we should be standing on this stage. There's a certain yielding that should be happening back and forth. There's a certain time to not say a word, and there's a certain time to say a word. And it should govern everything that we do in this place. We should never be casual. We should always be growing more powerful. We should actually be growing more concise. For real. We should be growing in the government of God. We should be growing in yielding. We should be growing in understanding. One, two, three. The third one speaks. The other two be quiet. We should like know this is what this is all about. That's 1 Corinthians 14. Some should prophesy. Some should bring a word. Sometimes you should bring a word. Sometimes you should bring a prophecy. Sometimes you should bring a song. Sometimes you should bring a hymn. You don't know unless you ask the Holy Spirit. This is the government of God. This is why we're here. But it's easy to come and just do what we always do. That's kind of what I do. I just occupy a place. I wish everybody see it the way I see it. This place would be terrible if that happened. Terrible. We want a place that's full of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Luke 17. Okay, so the, the arrogant see God changing the world around them. The humble see God changing them way before he changes the world. Because the kingdom's coming from within us. It's actually, if we're, if we're like, ah, oh, God, you've got to touch this person, he'd be like, am I done with you? No. Well, let me touch you, and you'll be a witness to that person, and I'll touch that person, and you won't know how. Maybe I'm touching them right now. Maybe they know more about me than you do. But let me touch you. You're not going to save anyone. You're, you're, when it says some bear 10, some bear 60, some bear 100, that's not talking about how many people you got to say the prayer or come to a prayer meeting or listen to a Bible study. That's not what that's talking about at all. You, no one would know until they meet Jesus what that harvest looks like. You're planting seeds. Somebody else is watering. Paul said, I plant the seed of Paul's waters. God makes it grow. I'm going to see the results in heaven. I'm not like keeping a tally of the people I've gotten to say the prayer. That's not the, that's not, that's the flesh's interpretation of what this is talking about. We have to be a people that plant the seeds of our own righteousness, become witness, burning fires like the seraphim that cause worship to happen. The seraphim aren't like, hey, God, I think two of those elders didn't say worthy when I said holy. They don't even care. 
They're on fire for something that's fascinating them. And the elders are really appreciative, and they just want to be on that same fire. That's how we should be feeling. No one's born this way. You're only going to pray your way into this, okay? Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. When will the kingdom of God come with observation? It will not. It does not. Because if you don't have it coming through you, you can't see it. If you don't have the kingdom of God coming through you, changing you, ordering you, making you more antiphonal, making you more ordered, making you more prophetic, making you more musical, making you more one-centric location to worship God reality-related, making you more Jerusalem-centric, if it's not all happening inside of you, you'll never see the kingdom coming because the kingdom... It's only seen by people that are led by the Spirit. And if the Spirit's leading you, that's what's happening inside of you. And I want to tell you, that doesn't happen automatically to anyone. That happens bit by bit, fragment by fragment of your heart and decisions you make all day long. And you saying, my ideas are breaking everything. God, what is your idea? And over time, love starts to grow in here. That means obedience starts to grow in here. That means order starts to grow in here. That's the kingdom of God. And David found this, and it manifested in him not being satisfied that that was happening inside of him, but saying, I'm going to make a dwelling place for the Lord. Other people should experience this. David, the only person in his generation anointed by the Holy Spirit besides Samuel and Saul, who had it removed, he wasn't satisfied to be the only guy filled with the Spirit. He used all of his money, his governmental leaders, all of his position of authority to get other people into the place he always realized this is the biggest blessing to me. That's the tabernacle. That we should be walking into this room. How do I be a blessing to this house? Not, it didn't feel that great. Not, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It's kind of boring. Not, that was amazing. There were so many people in the room. None of that's got anything to do with what we're doing here. What we're doing here is being broken in our pride. That means we go to sets we don't even, we're not even interested in. Apparently, God is interested in it because people are sacrificially driving across town to start a set. And it's like, I don't get it, but God doesn't. I want to know God. I heard the holy, holy, holy. And I'm like, worthy, worthy, worthy. But if you just do it any old way you want, that makes sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. You're selfish. You're going to get kicked out of this thing. Spit out. Then he said, nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So the truth is, everybody needs to see the kingdom. Those who do will be able to frame the trouble that's happening. Those who don't, they'll wish they could understand it, but they won't. And he says, like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like in Jonah's day. It's like in Noah's day. He's like, it's until the cities are destroyed. There's never been a better reason to get reordered in your governmental leadership and authority than what we see all around us right now. And if you don't understand what's going on, I'm going to tell you, you're missing it. If you don't understand that what's happening in the world is getting people into the tabernacle of David, you're missing it. That's exactly, he said, I'm going to shake Israel among the nations. At that time, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is not for you. It's not like a great place for you to go pray. It's not like a wonderful place to go hear some music and touch God and then I can go do life. It's for Jesus. It's the tabernacle of Jesus' ancestor, David. And Jesus is going to sit on that throne. It's 
It's terrifyingly sober and beautiful. And weight, the weight is lifted and it's light and it's, it's all these things. Do you see what I'm saying? But if you just make it like about you, it's the tabernacle of you. You don't want that. I'm sure David doesn't want that. David's like, I want to build you a house. And God's like, I'm going to build you a house. That's terrifying. If you're David, that's terrifying. Well, how, what, is it, what do I need to do with it then? How do I do this right, God? Save up all your wealth. All the wealth you would have given to your sons, you would have looked like amazing dad to your kids, amazing dad to the, to the entire country. Give it to God for something brand new nobody's ever heard of. That's what he did. He took all of his wealth, gave it to God for something nobody had ever heard of before. It didn't make sense to anyone. Is that what we're doing? Or are we worried about what the dumb thing looks like or how crazy it is or I don't know? Are we, is this ours or is it his? When we walk in here, are we looking to get reordered? Or are we looking to help him out? Big difference. Big difference. No one will see the kingdom until God reorders it for them. No one will see the kingdom until God reorders them for it. Sorry. Big difference. No one will see the kingdom of God until God reorders them for it. This is called rebirth or being born again. The reborn let their will go and let God possess theirs. And when you read about possession in the Bible, you read about demon-possessed people, you're supposed to be Holy Spirit-possessed. That's freedom. That's satisfaction. That's love. You were always made to be run by the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. So when you look at demon-possessed people, you're like, oh, I don't ever want that to happen to me. Well, yeah, no, you don't want a demon to possess you, but you do want the Holy Spirit to possess you. You actually want God telling you what to do and then doing it and empowering you to do it. Demon-possessed people are like, full all kinds of strength, they break chains. Holy Spirit-possessed people are even more powerful. They heal the sick. They cast out demons. They pick up snakes. Don't get hurt. Like, you're supposed to be spirit-possessed, okay? The reborn let their thoughts go and let God possess theirs. They're not casual about it, like, hey, I got this good idea. It must be God. I heard the bell tingle when I thought the thing. That's God. No. No, it breaks my pride. It makes me a fool in front of people, but I still want to do it because he said to. It costs me dearly. It's easy to know when the Spirit's telling you to do something. It's not that bird flap and swings. It's not the tingle. It's not I read the Bible verse and I heard the thing. It's God said it, and I know it's going to cost me, and I'm fearfully and woefully willing to do it, but it's going to take a miracle for it to get done. That's the thing God said to do. That's the, I mean, that's the thing God said to do. Isaac carrying, or, you know, Abraham carrying Isaac up the mountain. Isaac didn't do that because some bell tingled when he heard it. He did it because he knew only God would ask me to do this. I'm going to have to trust him as I do it. The reborn let their emotions go and let God possess theirs. You have lots of great reasons to be depressed. You have amazing reasons to feel like your life isn't working. Incredibly great humanistic reasons to feel like it's never going to work, it's never going to happen. And faith says... Jesus doesn't feel that way. He's worthy of a person that resists that. You don't resist it well. You resist it. And then he gives more and more power. You don't resist it well. You resist it with all you got. And then he gives you more. You start to stretch like a wineskin. He's worthy of a people that believe him. Only those possessed by God are his. The rest are unbroken. John 3, 3 to 8. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, who was he speaking to? Nicodemus. Very good. Thank you. 
Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He believed that Jesus was from God. He was afraid of what all the other Pharisees would think if he let that be known. So he came to Jesus at night. He did a lot of stuff in secret because he knew Jesus was right, but he couldn't, he couldn't bear the cost of losing his position, his authority, the way he was seen. He was ashamed. Nicodemus was ashamed. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Now, the Holy Spirit just said, I believe, that Nicodemus was ashamed. Who was Nicodemus ashamed of? Yes, himself, Vince says, who else? Jesus. He was ashamed of Jesus. Otherwise, he would have stood with him in open territory. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the spirit. Unless you're born again, unless you're broken and reordered, you can't see the kingdom at all. And if you want to enter it, you have to let that brokenness and reordering get rebuilt into the leadership of God. You have to be possessed by God to come into the kingdom. Jesus, just as the law shows us sin, just as the law, I misspoke and said Jesus, just as the law shows us sin, but Jesus does show us that too. But the spirit deals with the sin. So the law shows you the sin. Mankind can never deal with the law. The spirit deals with the law. If the spirit of Jesus possesses you, you go deeper than the law. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say, if you're angry at your brother without cause, you're guilty of murder. Jesus goes deeper. The spirit goes deeper than the law. So the tabernacle of David shows us our rebellion or separation from God, and then the spirit deals with it. So when you hear about the prophetic nature of the tabernacle of David or the antiphonal nature of the tabernacle of David or the central location nature of the tabernacle of David or the order of it, the governmental order of it, you should be like, that's impossible. And then, but God, and let the Spirit take you deeper. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's easy to water down and be like, well, yeah, I mean, that's the way David did it, but David was David, or that's the way Jesus says it, but Jesus is Jesus, and this is just me trying to do it, so I'm just going to kind of do it lawlessly the way, way I can. David didn't do it the way he could. He did his best to do what God told him to do. That's different. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, it might sound like I'm, or at least to me, Maybe it doesn't sound this way to you, but to me, to my flesh, it sounds like, God, it just sounds so onerous. <laughs> Got to do it. But he's like, no, what I'm talking about is freedom. What I'm talking about is purpose, something to do here. Not, you're not doing me any favors is what God would say. He's like, I'm going to do the things that I want done. Will I find faith when I come? I'm going to avenge my own elect. But will I find faith? Well, I actually find people that were like, I set my life to being reordered for the kingdom of God. I actually decided there's never been a better time than now to get completely reordered, pure and spotless for the kingdom of God. So the spirit will take us much deeper than the tabernacle of David worship order if we're broken and sifted by it. Faith in the revealed government of God. What does that mean? Faith in the revealed government of God. You believe the thing God shows you about his government. Faith in the revealed government of God. You should see something different about the government of God than I do. Because you're looking at it from some different angle. If he's, if he's got an infinite capacity and he's the center of all of our desire, he's got an infinite capacity, then I'm coming at one tangent and you're coming at another tangent, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. 
We're all coming from some different place. You have had a different history than I have, is what I mean. Your heart was formed differently. When you were a baby and somebody tickled your feet, it did something different than when I was a baby and somebody tickled my feet. When somebody whispered a joke to you, it did something different in your heart than it did in mine. We were individually fashioned. Our hearts were, your mind, will, and emotion were individually fashioned, according to Psalm 33. And so you should see some different things about the government of God than I do. That's why there's four Gospels. Four writers saw the exact same thing and had four different things to say about it, and they're harmonious. And if a humble heart can actually see, they're woven together in a way that unfolds something much bigger than any one of the Gospels. But arrogant man is like, let's find out how they agree. Let's make them all one speech, one language. That's Babylon. You don't want to do that. You don't want somebody to teach you out of the mystery of the gospel. Paul's like, I want to expound on the mystery of the gospel, not condense it. I want to expound on it. Pray for me that I could expound on it. Do you see what I'm saying? This place should be revelatory is what I mean. It should be expounding. It should be catalytic. It should be catching fire, 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 fire. Holy, worthy, holy, worthy, holy, worthy. That sounds way better, right, than... Okay, we did the hour. Faith in the revealed government of God or lawfulness, that's what that is, lawfulness, just means I believe in the way he orders things that it matters more than what makes sense to me is what matters most. When we see the order, antiphony, prophetic nature, and integrity of the Father's rule revealed in Jesus' testimony and ministry and have faith that he is the Son of God. So you hear people say, you just gotta believe he's the Son of God. Well, that means a lot. You believe he's the son of God, then you believe every single thing he did, you have to do if you want to be with him, and then you realize, I can't, and then you get yourself to asking and receiving. If you really believe in Jesus, you do the tabernacle of David, because David believed in Jesus. <laughs> he said, I said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemy's footstool under your feet, and David, Jesus was like, how did David say that? How did David say to the Lord, my Lord, sit at the right hand. You know, he's like, David got this. If you really believe that Jesus is the Savior, then you'll build him a throne is what that means. And he's going to sit on his ancestor David's throne. Does that make sense? You guys with me? David saw the throne room of Revelation 4 and then went to ordering all of his life to agree with it. This is the bottom of page 2. Four seraphim. David, Asaph, Heman, and Jedithan. I'm, I'm really quoting 1 Chronicles 25. I'm going to take a few more minutes. 24 elders. So David, he appointed the sons of his military leaders, David, or Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, plus David. Their sons were broken into 24 teams. This is the four seraphim and the 24 elders. David just, we don't know how. It says, by the ordering of God's hand upon me, he made all of these things manifest. Like he told people about these things, and people would be like, Where'd you hear that? And he's like, God told it to me. When people asked Paul, where'd you get the gospel? Paul said, Desert of Arabia. God told it to me. Now, why do people believe Paul? Because of a life manifesting the fruit of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Why do people believe David? David turned everything around. Saul was lawless. Saul did, Saul did whatever he thought was best for him, broke down all the protection of Israel, broke down all the security of Israel, broke down the economy of Israel, was selfish, broke people, killed all the priests in Shiloh, and they saw something different in David. They're like, I'm gonna, I, wanna, I wanna be a part of this. They recognize authority because there was revelation. Or is that what we're coming here to do? I wanna hear authority in this realm. Maybe the, I, I, more times than not, I've heard authority, and I'll just use Alia as an example because she's a young person I've known for a long time. I hear authority come through Alia often because she sees something. 
I'm like, I want to order my life to agree with that. You guys have experienced the same thing. We, if, we're, if we're listening, we'll hear authority and it will humble us, it will quiet us. It will actually get us to take a step back and be like, yeah, God, move. Way better if you move than if we move it. Way better for you to drive it than us push it. So David saw this throne room of Revelation 4. And I just say Revelation 4. Obviously, Revelation 4 was written a long time after David was alive, but he saw the same reality that John saw. Holy, worthy. Prophetic declarations taught to the willing to be changed. That's what holy and worthy really are. When you hear the seraphim saying holy and the elders saying worthy, that's really talking about a spirit of prophecy and a willingness to be changed by prophecy. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't despise prophecy. Test it. Find out what's good. Let it change you. You want to be changed. You don't want to come here and be like, I didn't already know that, so it must not be true. That's what arrogant people do. Unsaved, hard, getting cast out. Did God really say that? Trying to do the tabernacle of David, listen to me. If you're looking at the notes, you see it's all in caps. Trying to do the tabernacle of David is lawless. It's trying to replicate something flesh can't replicate. It's illegal. Letting the tabernacle of David change you, instruct you, and order you is called rebirth. So coming here and trying to mimic the tabernacle of David, that's not what we're trying to do. We're coming here believing that the tabernacle of David is relevant, that David is the ancestor whose throne Jesus is going to sit upon, that Jesus is going to rebuild this worship order because the prophet said so, and saying, I believe it, and doing the best we can with what we have, believing he will change it over time and that it will go away eventually because he wants a temple and then he wants his pre- the presence of the Father on earth. So when are you going to sign up to get reordered so that someday you have a capacity for the presence of the Father on earth. I'm like, today. 2011, I was like, God, give us one of these things. This doesn't look at all like I thought. I literally thought it would look like IHOP. That's what I wanted. And God has matured me over time. That was a, a very immature desire. And God's like, I have something so much better for you. Something so much more interesting. So much, so much, something so much more you. If you make it about me, you're like, God, I want you to build you a house. He's like, I'll build you a house. But if you're like, God, thanks for the house. Give me the keys. See you later. It's like, you're out. You're out. Or you're just like, walk into the house, throw your backpack on the couch, sit down, wear the chips. You don't even care. You're just here. You're welcome. I came home. Most, mostly we come in this room this way. I want to tell you, mostly we walk in the room this way. You're welcome. I came home, God. He's not okay with that. Not okay with me doing it. I'm assuming he's not okay with you doing it. The tabernacle of David is entirely and sufficiently like the law. About authority from heaven, manifest in those who have revelation of it, reordering the humble and sifting out those who trust in their own strength, ability, and talent, the unfruitful. If you hear about the tabernacle of David, what it is and why it is, and you're like, I'm going to try to do that, and I don't really want to change, I just want to be good at it, then it's designed to sift you out. If you hear about it, and you're like, that's fascinating, I don't understand it. I want you to open it up to me. Make me like it. And you come here on an adventure, an exploration of his heart. Why, God? Do you see how a prayer meeting would be a little bit more fun way? Your heart is actually so thirsty for what I'm describing. You can't really maybe touch it all the time. 
but we're so thirsty for the kingdom of God to come. And he's like, you're in the place it's going to come. <laughs> it's going to come through you. <laughs> Stop looking out the windows. Turn to me. Stop looking at the persecuted church. Turn to me. Yes, pray for the persecuted church. You're going to get persecuted too. Stop looking to Israel. We prayed it. It's not happening. We prayed it. It's not happening. No, turn to me. Let me change you. I want a witness for my people. I want a witness for Israel. I want a holy, holy, holy that they say worthy. I want a holy, holy, holy that rings through the atmosphere so they would say worthy. I don't want you to witchcraft them into the kingdom. I want a holy, holy, holy so they will say worthy. For the persecuted church, I want them to hear a holy, holy, holy so they say we're not alone. We're not alone. We pray from our high and lofty, secure place about them getting an American life. They're all alone. They would never want that if they were really holy. Most of them probably do want that. Just being persecuted doesn't make you holy. It's how you react to persecution. That's what makes you holy. He wants a holy, holy, holy. I'm going to read this last passage. Uh, Lainey, you want to come back up? 1 Corinthians 25, 6-8. All these, let's stand together. Do you want to get reordered? Do you want to come into this place to get reordered? Or do you want to come because you're a leader? This is how you know it's breaking down. I want to tell you this, this church is it's dying. I just tell, tell it to you real plain. It's like Lazarus. You know, Mary and Martha, they're like, get Jesus. He's dying. And Jesus came. And Martha's like, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, Mary, do you believe? Martha, do you believe? And then he said to Mary, do you believe? Did he want Martha to be like, he's not dead? To lie? No, he was dead. But Jesus wanted Martha to believe that Jesus is miraculous. Jesus is miraculous. And if you'll admit, I'm not talking about anything physical that you can see about this church dying. That really doesn't matter. I'm talking about the fact that we mostly come to the sets we lead. And we kind of come to other ones mostly because we feel guilty. And the spirit that breathed this place into existence is getting pushed down. If you want to get reordered, it's a prayer way. I want to read this. I just want you to hear authority. First Chronicles 25, 6 to 8. All these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord. They were submitted to their dads with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, talking of the 24 worship teams, for the service of the house of God. Oh, it's dreadful, woeful, beautiful. Asaph, Jedithan, and Heman were under the authority of the king, under David. He was their peer, but he was over them as well. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, they were instructed, they got taught the songs of the Lord. They got taught the spirit of prophecy is what that means. They were humble. They didn't act like they already knew it. They were like, no, God, 
do something through this conduit, through this witness, through this holy. They were like, I want to give a worthy. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful was 288. They cast lots for their duty. They just took whatever God gave them is what that says. The small as well as the great. They didn't measure it based on what somebody else got. The teacher with the student. They were teachable. If you want that, Holy Spirit, in this room, send fire on the teachable. Send fire on the humble. Send fire on the ones who want to be under authority. God, cast out the rebellious. Cut my legs off if I'm misrepresenting Jesus right now. I cast out the rebellious. He deserves a pure and spotless bride. Come, Lord, manifest the holy fire of God in this room. Bring it down, Lord. Stir us up, God. Don't let our love grow cold, but God, it's cold. It's cold. It's almost dead. It's on life support. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe. Let's just tell him, breathe, Lord. Breathe. Breathe, God, if you want it. If you don't, don't. But if you want it, breathe, God. Breathe. He's worthy of our prayer. He's worthy of full bowls. Holy Spirit, make this place a representation to the best it could be of the way Jesus governs. Holy Spirit, make this place a representation. The most we could do, even if it's a little bit compared to everybody else, but the most we could do that's worthy of your son. Pour out your fire in this room. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name.